0: It's good to be here this morning, especially at this service, where I think we have more college and university students or those that wish they were. And uh, I just a, a quick announcement. I'm also involved with a conference that happens every three years now in St. Louis. It's called the Urbana Student Missionary Convention. It's sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA and Canada, but it involves students from many different campus ministries. It happens right after Christmas, and uh, if you're looking for a chance to get more of a a global understanding of where you fit and you're in sort of the 18 to maybe 28 range of age, uh, I'd encourage you to come. There are some brochures on a table out here, and you can go to urbana.org if you want to find out about it. It's a chance to worship and discover about God at work in the world and where you fit with about 15 to 18,000 other college and university students, graduate students, who are seeking the same question or trying to understand the same thing. Well, this morning we're turning our attention to uh, God at work in the world. And I'm here to tell you, like I did last night at the banquet, I cannot think in Christian history of a more exciting time to be alive This weekend, from Friday through Sunday, Jesus Christ is being worshipped in more than 2,000 languages, including Mandarin. And, And it's all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. All over the world, the church has grasped this image of being missionaries to the nations, so now you've got not only North Americans going onto all the world, but you've got Brazilians going into the world, and Indians from the, north going to the, uh, from the south going to the north, and Nigerians sending missionaries to, of all places, the United States of America. If you study the church around the world, you'll find out the largest gospel-preaching church in Kiev, Ukraine, is pastored by a Nigerian missionary. All over the world, the gospel's bearing fruit and growing. But as soon as we start thinking about the -the all-over-the-world phenomena, we are easily introduced to the feeling of being a little overwhelmed. Because the United States represents only 5% of the world's population. In other words, 95% of the world lives someplace else. And the needs are as great as the opportunities. I can tell you that there may be as many as a hundred million Bible-believing, Jesus-worshipping Christians in China, but that also means if there's a hundred million Jesus-believing Jesus-worshipping Christians in China, that also means then there's 1.2 billion people in China that have not yet known about Jesus. It's a little overwhelming. There's more than a hundred million street children in the world's great cities, over 200 million Christians who are persecuted in one form or another over the course of a week. And it gets a little bit staggering. And to keep that in mind, as we look for ways for, to join God in what he's doing in the world, I'm gonna ask you to turn to a miracle story in the New Testament that we've already had read for us in Mandarin, but now we're gonna have it in English. Spe- speaking of, it's John's Gospel, chapter six, if you wanna open your Bibles. This is one of the most famous miracles in the Bible. It's the only miracle that appears outside of the resurrection that appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels have this miracle story. John's Gospel, chapter 6, gives us the most detail. While you're turning there, you might be interested to know that even though the Bible is read for us in Mandarin, uh, sometime either right now or in the next two or three years, You know, the country that will have the largest number of English speakers, it used to be the United States. In the next two or three years, the country with the largest number of English speakers will be China because of the number of people learning English to do global commerce. So we'll no longer be even the best at speaking English because of God's work in the world. John's Gospel, chapter 6. It was read for us already. I'd like to read it again, this time in English. And you can follow on, beginning with verse 5. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, if you've ever traveled in the Middle East, you realize whether you're with Jewish people or Muslim people or Christian people, Middle Eastern culture is a lot about food. They love to feed you. You come into somebody's house and you, they say, are you hungry? And you say, no, no. Good, we'll make you some food. You know, and in other words, it's just part of the culture. And Jesus had these people with him for a couple of days now and he says to Philip, a normal cultural thing, we want to feed them. Where can we buy bread for to feed these people just out of hospitality? And Philip says, it can't be done. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? But Jesus asked us only to test Philip but he already because he already he already had in mind what he was going to do. And then Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Sometimes when I think about global opportunities or global need, I'm like Philip. Maybe you're like Philip. Jesus, it can't be done. I know you want us to do this and such, but it's just impossible. Look at the size of our church. Look at the size of the need. See, see, Philip's not saying to Jesus, I'm going to go out and work for eight months so we can do this. Maybe take a loan, we'll pay it back type of thing. He's saying it can't be done. Too overwhelming. Jesus doesn't even respond. The story moves on. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go amongst so many? We don't know where this little boy comes from. We don't know his name. We just know that somehow or other he stepped forward, and somehow he got his lunch into Andrew's hands. And the little boy maybe had a little bit of faith and gave it to Andrew and said, Andrew, give this to Jesus. He needs it to feed the crowd, you know. And Andrew comes forward and says, Jesus, here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two uh, small fish and well, how far will that go it's almost like Andrew speaks with the faith of the little boy and then talks himself down he says actually in Greek language you can interpret here is a small man with five small barley loaves and two small fish what's the operative word small and it's like one two three strikes you're out and then how far will that go amongst so many See, Andrew steps forward the little boy's faith, but then he gets preoccupied with the size of the resource. For Philip, he says, it can't be done. The need is too great. For Andrew, he says, it can't be done. The resources are too small. But the interesting thing is the little boy just had his eyes on Jesus. And if there's a lesson to be taken from this miracle, it's this. When you start contemplating how God might want to expand your involvement, because I assume you're already involved, how God might want to expand your involvement in what he's doing in the world, don't be so overwhelmed that you say, how can I have an impact on the People's Republic of China, 1.3 billion people? That's like Philip. Or it's like Andrew. It's, you know, how can I, meaning only my little resources. Can you befriend one person? Can you invite someone to your home for Thanksgiving? Don't be overwhelmed by the size of the need or the smallness of yourself. But give what you have to Jesus. That's what the little boy teaches us. Verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So if each one had a a family member with them, yeah, now you're 10,000. And if each one had a wife and two kids with them, then you're 20,000. Can you understand why the disciples were overwhelmed? It's even a bigger crowd than 5,000. And Jesus says, have people sit down. He took the loaves, verse 11. He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat. Another translation says, when they were all satisfied. So this wasn't some sort of like, you know, sampling of tapas. This was, this was, uh, this was a full-blown meal. They, could go, they were like going back for seconds. Like if you were at the banquet last night, we ate until we were full. You could go back, go back, go back, and, you know, nice meal prepared by some of the nutrition students at the university. And when they were full, he said, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Before we go on into into application into our own lives, look at that last verse for a moment. Pastor, is this, Pastor Bob, is this a a talking church? Sometimes? I I can't even hear you, so how how am I, uh, you know... (laughs) You know, sometimes you're preaching in Africa and they talk to you. They, they're helping you out, you know. You're making a good point. Yes, Lord. Let, you know, that's kind of thing. Or, it's not going so well. And, you know, um, anyhow. So talk to me for a second. How many disciples are there? Twelve. How many baskets left over? Here's the point put yourself in the story for a minute. You've been out with Jesus for a few days and you're a little bit hungry. And this little boy steps forward. In that culture, the little boy, when he releases his lunch, it's gone. It's going to the adults. That's just the way it is. The rabbi has it to use the way he wants. Jesus is the rabbi. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm one of those disciples, I'm thinking, you know, this little lunch is pathetic amongst this crowd, but it's a nice little snack for us. Let's just go behind the tree and eat it. But the disciples had to distribute it before they ate And when everybody was satisfied, they gathered the pieces that are left over, and there was enough for them. And here's the point. When you get involved in giving yourself to the purposes of God, inevitably at some point you're going to say, if I give this much to the church pledge, where's the money going to be for me? If I give this time on my summer vacation, how am I going to pay my tuition? If I go and do this, how is this going to be met? And the story is basically, release what you have. Jesus takes care of us in the process. But sometimes it's got to be released, and that's the hard part. The first point about this young boy that I want us to take as we think about where we fit in the world is this if you want to be involved in going where God's going in the world, if you want to be involved in understanding where you fit in the world, if you want to be involved in this amazing time that we live in, where the church of Jesus Christ is growing all over the world, if you want to be involved in it, the first thing you need to do is exactly what this little boy did. He made himself available. He made himself available. He basically said, you know, I don't know, Lord. Jesus, I'm looking at you. You've got miracle working power, and here's this vast need, and I've got this pathetic little lunch, but it's yours. Here am I, all of me. We sang that. That's availability. That's what we're saying. And you see, when you think, of, think about availability, think about your day-to-day life. You see, there's a prayer that Isaiah gave in Isaiah chapter 6, we sometimes call it the availability prayer. The prayer goes like this. Here I am, send me. It's where the song comes from. Here I am, Lord, send me. And sometimes we think that verse is just for those that go cross-culturally or, you know, to some faraway place. I'd like to submit to you that's a verse for every Christian for every day. What one guy in one of his books calls 24-7 availability. And it springs from who Jesus is and what he's done for us. When we come together on a Sunday to worship, what we're saying is, Lord, in light of who you are, in light of what you've done for us, here we are. I was raised in a fairly conservative uh, Christian tradition. And when I say that, for those of you who aren't familiar with different Christian traditions, we did not do a lot of hand-raising in the service. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we were singing that one song, uh, uh, one, one of the songs that had a really great beat. I was at a church up in Manitoba, Canada, and that during that whole song, they were doing bouncy worship like this. They were worshiping like this for like 40 minutes. I mean, everybody in that church congregation was like buff, you know what I mean, because... <laughs> It was like aerobic worship, you know? It's like, I come to church and I lose weight. It's awesome, you know? But I didn't come from that tradition. I came from the tradition that would sing, you know, we lift up, your hand, we lift up our hands in your name, and we wouldn't. You know, or we might do like, you know. But when I worship now around the world, whether I'm with Plymouth Brethren, that's very conservative, generally speaking, to Pentecostals, to Presbyterians in between, this is worship. Here we are, Lord, open-handed. Here's our lives. Here's my major. Here's my future. Here I am, Lord, because of what you've done, I've been purchased with a price. My worship is to present my body as a living sacrifice back to you. Here's my checkbook, Lord. Here's my dreams for the future. here's, Here's my calendar for the week. Lord, it's open to you. This past week, uh, two two weeks ago, I was meeting with some Christian friends, and, and we were going to have dinner together and catch up with old times and everything, and a student came to me from another university, and he wanted to have dinner with me. He was from a Muslim background from Bangladesh. And I confess, at that moment, I just wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to say, can you have another conversation? But I basically said, here I am, Lord, all of me. And he came and had dinner with us and, and made some new friends. But I had to release my own calendar. It's interesting. When I see people worshiping, I don't see them like this Here I am, Lord, half of me. You know, we don't sing that. I don't see them like this. You know, Lord, I'm giving you everything, but I'd really like a Bentley one of these days. <laughs> if you don't know what a Bentley is, don't aspire for it. It's too much money. But it's open handed. Every day. I walk into the classroom. Here I am, Lord. Use me. I walk down the hallway in my apartment building. Here I am, Lord. Use me. One of my friends says he prays over all the names on the addresses on the, on the, uh, the bells in the apartment building he lives in. My wife's a microbiologist, uh, works in a laboratory in a Boston hospital. She goes in and prays over all the workstations. For this fellow who's from the Gujarat state of India, for this lady who comes from a Christian background but is disillusioned, you know, and she prays over them before they're there. She doesn't wait till they're there. It's kind of creepy, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you can do that in your neighborhood. You know, or or before you go to some place where you know you're going to meet someone. It's I'm available, Lord. I go to the airport a lot, as you can tell, and I just pray, Lord, make me available. I'm available. Two weeks ago, I was traveling, and I go up, and there's a uh, kiosk in the Boston Logan Airport, and there's a woman there uh, at the kiosk, and she has the head covering, a hijab of what would be probably Middle East. I'm guessing Syria. I was wrong, but I guessed Syria. And I said to her, I went up to her, and I said, Salam alaikum, which means in Arabic peace be to you. It's an Arabic greeting, a Muslim greeting. She broke into this smile. She said, I have been working here for eight months. You're the first person that's ever greeted me in my own language because I was available, you know? And then she prayed to receive Christ, and today she said, no, that's not true. It just, <laughs> the only thing I did was give her a smile. But when you're available to God, you realize he's doing his work in the world, and you're joining it. And maybe someone else will come along later and greet that lady and have another conversation and another and another in God's process in her life. It's being, opening your eyes and saying, Lord, here I am. I'm available. Related to that, the little boy wasn't, wasn't only available, he gave Jesus what he had. He gave Jesus what he had, which is what? Five loaves and two fish. You know, in in the Bible, it's amazing how God works in our lives, through our lives, through us, through the things that we are, our background, our training, our loves and habits and, and hobbies, our gifts and abilities. He takes someone like Paul the Apostle who was brilliant in the Old Testament and uses him to be the one who preaches Jesus from the Old Testament. He takes someone like David who really had wanted to be a soldier, but God made him into a shepherd boy. And when he becomes king of Israel, he's called the shepherd king of Israel. Why? Because God was using his past for his future. You speak a second language. Lord, here I am. How do you want to use that? You've got a specific skill. Lord, here I am. How do you want to use that? A young lady came to me at a conference one time, and she said, I just graduated college. I want to be used by God. How can God use me? I said, what what have you been studying? She said, I just graduated with a degree in hydrogeology. I said, cool. What's hydrogeology? I had no idea. I pretended like I I was hoping she was going to just sort of say it. I said, what's hydrogeology? She says, "Um, I basically know how to find water, right? And she used, if you're a farmer, you'll understand this. She says, I'm a diviner with a degree. You know, I know how to find wells. Within months, she was on her way to Burkina Faso, West Africa, in some of the poorer drought-stricken areas, helping new villages, helping villages find new sources of water. You know, it's just a matter of. And now that's not to say it's going to make you more profitable. When you give what you have to Jesus, He might give you a job that doesn't make as much as if you stayed here. But that's not the issue, is it? Because we've been purchased with a price, we're going where Jesus wants us. Make yourself available to God. A senior lady at our church came to me one time when I was missions pastor, like uh, uh, John mentioned. And, and she came to me she says, Paul, I'm a widow. I'm 67 years old. Uh, I don't want to sit in a rocking chair till I have to. Can you give me something to do? I said, well, Marion, what have you been doing? She says, well, I'm a nutritionist. She goes, I I prepare nutritious food for large groups of people. I used to work at a military base. Now I work at a big hospital. I said, cool, let's look into it. Five months later, at 67 years old, as a widow, Marion was on her first ever trip to Haiti going as a new, new missionary, using her skills as a nutritionist, feeding a pr- in, in charge of a feeding program that was feeding 600 kids a week. Using her skills and finance raising, her fundraising, she raised money for a, like a Cuisinart-type food processor, trained two Haitian guys. At the end of four months, she came home, and the two Haitian guys were feeding 2,000 kids a week. About two years ago, I had the privilege of doing the funeral for Marion. She died at age 86 after 44 trips to Haiti. She went after she had cancer. She went after she had her hip replaced, her knee replaced. We used to call her like the bionic missionary. You know, she was like partly plastic when she went. And the greatest thing about her, she would speak to the seniors at our church. That would be people like over maybe 80. And she was like 85 years old one time and she said, some of you are afraid to go with me to Haiti because you're afraid you might die in Haiti. And you can only do this when you're 85 years old yourself. She, says, she goes, you're afraid you might die in Haiti. She goes, look it, I'm looking over the crowd here. You're gonna die whether you're going to Haiti or not. <laughs> she goes, and let me just tell you, it's so much cheaper to be buried in Haiti. You know, but what she was saying was, is your life belong to Jesus or not? You know, make yourself available. Lord, how do you want to use my business major? How, how do you want to use my, my chemistry studies? Lord, how do you want to use my job skills? Here I am. I'm available. I asked this from this first service and got sort of a hesitant response. So let me ask you, how many of you in this audience, first, second, third language is English. Wow, even less. Yeah. Isn't one of the pastor's sermons not understandable? Now, how many of you speak English? Come on. I think 100%, right? Do you realize if you said, Lord, here's my English, you could be reaching out to Somali refugees in the city of Toronto, people who come from a war-torn country, political refugees, who desperately need someone to teach them conversational English so that they can function in, in Western society. If you're willing to speak, if you're willing to go as a conversational English teacher, all sorts of countries are open to you. China, North Korea is open. I have a friend in Egypt who has lots of contacts at universities in Libya. He said, if you have people that are willing to come and teach English, I can get them into Libya. We can't get them out, but we can get them in. <laughs> but Jesus said, go. Go. He didn't say, come back. (laughs) Now, I mean, we laugh at it, but that's the reality of it. That's the reality. I I was actually speaking at a student conference in Nigeria, and some of those students said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. So they went to the north. And they were dead or in prison within a month. It's actually funny, but it's not. How much are you willing to say, let go? My own life? If you believe what Jesus did for you, then the answer has to be yes. Paul the Apostle said, I don't consider my own life as any account as dear to myself. I just want to please God. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. It's an open handedness about every part of our lives. When you combine availability with your experiences, you say to God, Here I am, Lord. How do you want to use my family background in this world? How do you want to use my growing up experiences, my language knowledge? How do you want to use my education, my life background to benefit the work of your kingdom here on earth? The little boy says, I'm available. The little boy says, take what I have. And he brings what he has to Jesus. It's a little bit of a leap, but I'd like to just suggest that one of the ways you can be part of what God's doing in the world is by expanding the nature of your praying. The Bible commands us to pray for kings and rulers and those who are in authority. We're not just praying about our midterm and our finals and our future marriage and all these other stuff. We're praying about world-changing events. Do you realize there's not a government on earth that's not accessible by your prayers? You start praying for places, and, and if your prayers are just, you know, Bloomington prayers, that's great, but too small. If there are just USA prayers, wonderful, but too small. Grasp something about the rest of the world. Maybe choose a country or a, an ethnic group or someplace where you're going to be concentrating your prayers. Because your prayers can shake the nations because you're bringing your lunch, in this case your prayers, before the God who multiplies. So maybe you want to choose a flag of the world. Flags have a lot of times religious symbols on them. The Afghan flag over here has the Islamic creed on it. It's a reminder of a country that pretty much has almost nobody who's knowledgeable of the, about the reality of what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Jesus. If a, if a flag has the crescent moon, chances are it's a predominantly Muslim country. There are flags that have symbolisms, symbols of Buddhism or, or of Hinduism on the flag. Maybe you want to choose that. A young 17-year-old guy came to me, a guy, and he says, uh, I'm praying every day from Mozambique. Mozambique's in Southeast Africa. Had been through about a 20-year civil war for a longest period of time. And I said, why would you choose Mozambique? I thought that was an unusual country, mostly because I don't expect a 17-year-old American young man to even know where Mozambique is or even that Mozambique is. And uh, he said, I'm praying for Mozambique. I said, why did you choose Mozambique? He said, it's the only flag in the world with a machine gun on it. (laughs) He says, I thought that was cool. (laughs) Whatever. You know, get involved, get interested. Get interested. You know, you start getting interested in the rest of the world. You take one of my courses at Gordon College, you have to memorize all the countries on Earth. Do you know why? So that when you meet someone from that country, you can say, I know where you come from. You meet someone from Africa, they'll say, an African student here at the university, they'll say, you say, where are you from? They'll say, Africa. You know why? Because they have no expectation that you're going to know any of the countries. They think that you think Africa is a country. And one of the elders at our church asked one of the African students one time, what's the capital of Africa? (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was bad. All right, but the reality is expand your praying. Uh, A number of years ago, I started praying for the little tiny country of Bhutan. Bhutan is locked into a Tibetan style of Buddhism. It's north of India, way up into the Himalayas or Himalayas, as they might say, and uh, very, very almost impenetrable. And I started praying for Bhutan and uh, you know, on and on and I did. And several years later, a couple friends of ours were dorm parents at Wellesley College. And, uh, and this is a pretty elite women's school near the Boston area. They said, hey, come over and have dinner with us. So we came over to have dinner with them and, uh, and we sat down with them. They said, before we eat dinner, we want you to meet one of our students. They took me over and introduced me to this young student and very shy sophomore student her name was Chimi Wangchuk. I didn't know enough about Bhutan at that point to know what I was doing or who I was meeting. But we went back to their, their, their own apartment, and they said, you know that girl you just met? I said, yeah. She's the favorite daughter of the favorite wife of the king of Bhutan. You just met the princess of Bhutan. And as I was praying, I said, here is a chance. You know, this girl is now in a dormitory with his other Christian la- young ladies there, Maybe a whole country will be changed because of the Christian students she meets in her dormitory. Fast forward another 10 years, I'm I'm teaching up in northeast India, and I tell them we're very close to Bhutan. I'm so excited. I've been praying for more than 20 years for Bhutan. They said, have you met Nima? I said, no, who's Nima? In our class. And they introduced me to Nima. After 20 years of prayer, I was meeting my first ever Bhutanese Christian. And he talked about his work with what would be the dynamic equivalent of Campus Crusade in Bhutan. You start praying, and God brings these things into your, into your pathway. This morning in the earlier service, I talked about praying for Bangladesh. And one day after I, sta- I prayed for Bangladesh, I went to the supermarket, and the lady who was bagging my groceries from, was from Bangladesh. You think that's a coincidence? The God of the nations is listening to your prayers Don't be surprised when you start praying for other places if those places start crossing your news, because the God of the nations is reaching out through you, through your prayers. That's why one of the uh, things that I share with any time that I'm preaching at a church for the very first time, I share with them my only creative idea in my whole life. I'm not a creative person. I'm uh, either left brain or right brain, or no—I don't know what brain I am. But I'm not creative. But I had this thought one day. I was putting on my shirt, and the shirt said, in the underneath the, the label, it said uh, "Made in Mauritius." And I said to myself, "Where the heck is Mauritius? Not Mauritania—that's in northwest Africa. Mauritius is a tiny little island, a thousand miles off the coast." Of Africa in the Indian Ocean and I started thinking how did a shirt from Mauritius get in my closet and then I started realizing that some person from Mauritius had made that shirt and this might be my only contact so that's why my creative idea is this expand your global praying by praying for your missionaries by picking one of these cards but even simpler than that today expand your global praying by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not the gap, you know. (laughs) Although there is a verse in the Bible that calls us to stand in the gap. I don't think that's what it's about, right? You know, irregular is not a country, just so you know. Um, But you know, the made in, the made in label. You know, I put on my shirt this morning, it's actually made in Bangladesh, and I prayed for a, probably a Muslim man or woman who made this shirt, that they would somehow hear the gospel. My jacket's from Colombia, South America, one of the most dangerous countries on earth because of drug traffic, drug uh, wars. So I've got the poorest country in my shirt and the most violent country in my jacket. I'm totally stressed. You know, just, <laughs> just praying. But you know, it's, it's a reminder. Now some of you say, Yeah. You're wearing clothes that were made in sweatshops. I got thinking about that. I have a friend in Sri Lanka, and I've been. Sri Lanka has a lot of these clothing factories, and uh, and I want to tell this story because many of you are university age or sometimes looking for your first major job. Here's his exhortation. This guy is a, a Sri Lankan guy, brilliant fellow, and he loves to tell me things that are wrong with America when I'm there. Whenever I meet with him, I just fasten my seatbelt because he's going to tell me all – he's never asked me to give him any advice about Sri Lanka, I've noticed that. But he, he wants to tell me what's wrong with my country, and I listen to it because we're friends. And, and so I said to him, uh, Vinod, I said, Vinot, um, I do this thing where I encourage people to pray for the countries where their clothes were made. And I realized that that's sometimes sweatshops and some pretty nasty places. I said, what should I do? Should I encourage Americans to boycott those clothes? You know, if you see Made in Sri Lanka, oh, I'm not buying it. And I expected him to give me the full octave blast of, you know, anti-American, anti-globalization sentiment. He said, Paul, if you do that, poor people will get poorer. Because even though it might be a harsh situation they're working in, at least it's keeping them from having to be on the streets. I said, what should I do then? He said, speak to your Christian audiences and tell college and university students to become executives with Nike Corporation, to become executives with some of these multinational corporations so that from the top you can change the way these sweatshops are run. I shared that story at a church in New York City. The next time I was there, this guy came up to me. He says, remember that story? And I said, yeah, of course. It's the only story I have. And I said, uh, (laughs) said, remember that story you told? I said, yeah. He says... uh, He says, well, I got thinking about that. I work on Fifth Avenue. Everybody know what I mean by that in New York City, where everything's more expensive. And uh, he says, we sell an elite designer jean that's made at our factory in Madagascar. Everybody know Madagascar, that little island, King Julian, et cetera, you know. And uh, old people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just don't worry. Uh, You know, and he says, we have this factory in Madagascar. We buy the jeans for $1 a pair. We sell them on Fifth Avenue for 400 For those of you non-marketing majors, that would be called a markup, <laughs> all right? Or profit margin, all right? He says, I, w- I was moved by what you said about becoming an executive, and I went to them. And I, I'm the liaison to the factory. He says, I, went to the fa- I, wrote, I sent a fax off to the factory. I said, how much is it going to cost if, we enhance, get more workers so people aren't working longer than eight-hour days, if we pay for better housing and plumbing and everything for the, for the compounds where the workers live, if we pay for the school fees of the students, which is in, in, in the majority world, you have to pay for your kids to go to public school. It's different than our system here. And he says, if we paid for the school fees and we increase the medical treatment possibilities like health care, for the workers, He says tell me and get back to me he said they got back to me and they said very sorry sir but if we do that we will have to charge you four times as much for the jeans which is now four dollars so the profit margin has diminished from a sacrificial 399 down to 396 do you understand just by using the influence of a position an entire factory full of people were benefited Because he used the skills that he had, he made himself available, and he was willing to get involved. My challenge to you this morning is don't get so overwhelmed by the size of the need that you don't get involved. Don't get so overwhelmed by the minimalness of your own contribution that you don't get involved. Join with what God's doing and say, Lord, I'm available. Use what I have. Expand my prayers. Change the world. Let's pray. If you're comfortable joining me in this, I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and I'm going to open my palms up towards heaven as a symbolism of the availability. And if you're comfortable, I'd invite you to do the same as an expression of our worship. We sit, we stand, Lord, before you as worshipers today. And we say, here we are, Lord. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of your life and death and resurrection to give us life, because of forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, we say, Here we are, Lord. Send us into the dormitory. Send us into the classroom. Send us into the neighborhoods. Send us across cultures. Send us to the nations. We're available. We ask that you would use us for your global purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.